0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. We are, we meaning I, <laughs> am thrilled to be joined by uh, Mr. Steve Fox today. How are you, Steve? I'm doing great. I'm glad me back. I am so happy you're here. I, I would have you on once a month if I could. <laughs> I think you're pretty delightful. Uh, <laughs> and uh, how are things over where you are at today? You're in uh, Minneapolis? Are,
1: uh, I, uh, I'm in the Midwest. I, I keep it nice and vague online usually. Um, not for any secretive reasons. I just really admire uh, like the Thomas Pynchons of the world and the uh, Al Columbias and, and everyone who is like weirdly secretive about their non-authorial lives. Uh, No, I'm in Michigan. Everything's fine. Weather's great. Um, New York. I was in New York for many years and and those summers are really nasty. And then fall lasts for about three days. So it's pretty nice being in a place that has all four seasons.
0: I am similarly vague about certain things. Like I talk about my children all the time, but I never use their names in uh, in, in any sort of public sphere. For example, I'm in Salt Lake City. It has been like 110 all summer at like 105 and now it's dropped to like 70. And uh, I'm thrilled, and my dog, who is very fluffy, is also thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> my children are complaining about how cold it is, but I uh, this is my sweet spot. I'm happy here.
1: yeah, my our dog has a uh, short hair, so we actually just bought her a new like autumn sweater yesterday and a, a little Halloween costume. So oh, cute. We're it's uh, excited excited to accessorize her as it gets colder.
0: <laughs> I don't like pumpkin spice, but I do love fall. <laughs> yes, same, same boat. There have been a number of really big announcements coming out uh, around you this last couple of weeks. And I'm I'm kind of guessing there's more to come. Tell people what we uh, what we have to look forward to.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comics serial that I worked on earlier this year has is currently ongoing. Um, the fourth chapter just came out today.
0: I read it this morning. I hope you
1: enjoyed. Um, I did. That's our our Hellfire Gala tie-in with the nine losers from the the 2022 election. Um, It's very exciting to write, especially with Monet on the cast. I mean, she's always been a favorite of mine. And the Academy X kids who are kind of like my age parallel in the X-Men books. You know, they were teenagers when I was a preteen. So that's been a ton of fun. I, I wrote that alongside the Hellfire Gala loser election one pagers that ran online yeah then i had like a two month gap before i could actually tell people um, that alan and i weren't done with the cast and for our
0: for our listeners uh this was the second x-men vote where the public literally votes on an x-men member the first winner was polaris and then teeny howard wrote a book called secret x-men all about the other x-men who didn't win the vote This year, Firestar was the winner, and Steve got to take the rest of the characters and tell some stories in the Infinity Comic, which is great. Your interpretation of Micromax in particular just brings me joy. It's ridiculous and wonderful.
1: (laughs) He's fun. He's he's like the fun little comic relief because I love that era of Excalibur where he debuted, and Excalibur had such a particular... comedic edge to it it wasn't an out and out comedy book but it had such a a British kind of wry humor especially when Alan Davis was writing and drawing it uh, so yeah it was, it was a lot of fun to use Micromax and then I went and got greedy and I, I'm I'm writing a story with the winner of the election too Firestar uh, I so love in, that so much yeah in December um, Andrea DeVito and I are doing a 30 page X-Men annual and it does feature the entire cast uh, you know I couldn't turn down the chance to use characters like Iceman and, and uh, Magic and everyone else but Firestar really does take center stage she has such a unique role in the X-Men because you know <laughs> you exclude the hyperbolic side of Twitter who's like she's a cop blah 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 the the fact of the matter is she she keeps kind of glancing off of the x-men franchise throughout her history you know the new mutants uh and then she goes to the new warriors and then she's in the avengers and then she goes to amazing x-men and she pops up on new tn like she's around but she doesn't tend to stick around right so i i think she's a really fascinating addition to the team because usually the outsider role is Like a reformed villain or a teenager or a character who's completely new to being a hero, but Firestar is a really experienced hero who just put her time in on other teams. Firestar
0: Uh, is a fantastic character and so beloved, not necessarily in the X-Men franchise, but I think what she represents for the team as the mutant who doesn't want to move to Krakoa Alone is fascinating. Uh, I love her in New Warriors under Fabian Nicieza. I love her in The Avengers under Kurt Busiek. Uh, and even going back and I recently read, reread her first miniseries. It's so wonderful. It's a great, she's a great character. Uh, so yeah. I'm, uh, I've been surprised at the X-Men hate toward. her. I think mostly because people wanted Monet in.
1: <laughs> yeah. And hey, listen, I voted for Monet. <laughs> like, you know, she, she's my gal. I'm really excited that I got to write her in the Secret X-Men Um Serial and and even though I tried to spread the love she kind of becomes the de facto protagonist of the serial because it's hard to put Monet in something and not have Monet take charge Um, but you know I mean the thing about Firestar and the online fandom is I, I think I, I was explaining this to my boyfriend the other day I think what we're seeing over the past couple years is not just fandom but also stands, like the way that ca- people are stands of musicians has kind of filtered into comics and I think a lot of comic professionals don't necessarily understand that the language stans use is really heightened like when someone says like I'm gonna you know this author should kill themselves because they didn't have Monet do whatever like it yes it's not the best to read but oftentimes I don't think they are literally meaning or suggesting what they say it's kind of just the way that you elevate your language and passion when you talk about your favorite musicians and the characters that really resonate with you so it's an interesting time to be a creator online um but thankfully you know we've had a really nice response to the the gala serial and i was braced for like weird anti firestar hate but there's so much passion for her out there and and lots of excited people came out of the woodwork to voice support for for me and andrea um, and excitement about the issue so hopefully people dig it
0: even care, even well, even people who hate certain characters, it just takes the right story to make you love that character. And I think, I think Firestar is a, a wonderful character. I voted for Avalanche. I love me myself a, a reformed villain story. Tempo got my vote in the first election. Tempo uh, got and-
1: mine. Yep. My first year, <laughs> first year I was split between Tempo and Maro. This year I was split between Monet and Avalanche for the same reason. I I really love the reformed villain angle. And and when I researched all the characters, you know, Avalanche has not had that many. <laughs>
0: Right. I love, I love an old comics. I love an old villain who just has not had a lot of depth, which is why I voted for Tempo at the time. And she's getting a lot of love in Marauders. Marauders, of course, now, but uh, Avalanche is uh, is a beloved of mine for that reason because he's always around yeah. but never does anything. You don't have any I really hope.
1: That. Yeah, I hope the same way that like the first vote got people excited about the possibility of tempo that we see that happen with some of the characters in this vote because there are you know there are dozens of interesting characters, it just takes the right moment and creative team and opportunity to really make someone sing. So
0: I, uh, on my podcast, we're regularly doing character trials. And so I'll review whole histories of people. And for example, when we did the blob and the toad trials, Reading those characters and trying to fill in the blanks on who these people are, I would I'll, I'll finish and then go write a story about them. And I'm like, maybe I'll publish these eventually. <laughs> and we'll see. But it's uh, it's really fun to delve in, which is one of the reasons I'm loving doing this Patreon so much, is because we get to talk yeah. into more obscure characters that really change my mind about uh, about people. So when I first approached you with the idea of doing this episode, uh, the parameters being lesser known villains or supporting characters, uh, we married. I, narrow-
1: I think we checked that box. <laughs> yes, the lesser for sure
0: own one we we narrowed it down to a character named solar it's like solar with two r's uh solar was recently featured in your x-men 92 house of 92 series uh he is not a character that i've thought about in years but uh i keep picking these characters that i loved when i was a kid So I go back and uh, the Marvel Universe Appendix, there's a profile on Solar written by me like in 2006 (laughs) or something. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did this guy and I had to re-research. Why did you choose Solar? What is it about this character that you like?
1: So I chose Solar because when I was writing X-Men 92, House of 92, I wanted to pay homage to the animated series in ways big and small. like obviously the voices of all the characters were influenced by how they're written on the show and how I hear them in my head because of the voice actors, but it also meant looking at some of the odd and unusual choices that the show made at times about who to spotlight and where. And there is this incredibly bizarre episode of the show um, where they go, where Scott goes to a place called Skull Mesa, which I don't think has any comic um, corollary. It does not. Yeah. And it's it's kind of like I'm sure we'll talk about it chronologically, but oh, let's uh, let's open with this. Let's talk. With, okay, let's, yeah. let's
0: talk Solar in that one random random ass episode of X Men: The Animated Series.
1: So I rewatched it again last night too, um, and it's it's got kind of this almost like weirdly folk horror slash like Twin Peaks element where Scott crash lands in this kind of a southwestern American town that was founded to be a, a harmonious community between mutants and humans. And he's there on the search for, and this is a one episode arc, so there's like no context before or after. Um, and he's on the search for a doctor slash scientist who I guess had been kind of a mentor figure to him as a kid. Was he in the comics? Because you know the Silver Age better than I do. Mm-mm. Yeah, so brand new invention, like I thought. I think what was uh, his,
0: his name was uh, Dr. Taylor Prescott.
1: Yeah, and they weirdly say Dr. Prescott like 48 times in the episode. Like They can't <laughs> stop saying Dr. Prescott. And um, so there's a flashback where you see that he was at the orphanage with Scott and he kind of like um, kept him from being too bullied by the kids. And Dr. Prescott's whole mission was to have human and mutant unity. And instead of trying to accomplish that with the leading expert in human mutant unity, he, he left and founded a little southwestern town. Um, And so Scott goes off to find him to, I guess, catch up with him in general, but also to deliver a trinket that one of his former students made as like a thank you, Um, which, you know, you probably could have mailed instead of taking a private fighter jet. (laughs) Um, But the jet gets shot down by one of about a dozen original characters that populate this episode. So the, the other reason this episode is notable is that The show didn't come up with too many original characters. It usually just pulled background mutants and kind of like B and C list characters from the comics and would plop them in with no explanation. But this episode does that to a like staggering degree and comes up with four or five named original mutants, including Watchdog, who has (laughs) has a fantastic visual because he's just this big bulky guy with like a a a english bulldog face or a mastiff face who also has this kind of like cerebral looking helmet some sort of like long-range mental projectile powers that take away scott's powers and a completely mismatched voice like he has this weirdly soft meek voice despite being like a seven foot tall bulldog person uh and so, but yeah. I, they,
0: when I re-watched this, I remembered Watchdog from seeing this cartoon 25 years ago or whatever, but I did not remember Solar was in this <laughs> until I was yeah. like, oh
1: yeah! So, uh, truncating it is when Scott crash lands and he, he wakes up without his powers, which en- ends up almost not really mattering, because he has another pair of glasses and he gets attacked, but he goes through the town, everyone avoids him, and there is a mixture of humans and visible mutants, and also, some characters from the comics who are, are not mutants, like Tusk, who are presented here to probably be mutants. Um, also, the, like fact Sin-
0: that, the fact that you, you even know Tusk is not a mutant makes me want to high five you. Like, that shows <laughs> your nerd status. Let me give a quick list of characters who make like a one shot appearance yes, in the episode. So we have Tusk from the Dark Riders, Copycat from X Force and Deadpool, Forearm and Strobe from the Mutant Liberation Front. We have uh, Random from X-Factor, Slither and Peepers from the Replacement Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Peepers is one of my all-time favorites, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Arclight from the Marauders. We have Senyaka from the, uh, oh god, what team is he on? He's in the Uh,
1: Acolytes. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Reaper from the Mutant Liberation Front. And then Ape, Mole, Tommy, and Sunder from the Morlocks. And they're all just like really quick one-off appearances. And you're like, what a random... The fact that they chose Slither even. I'm like, what?
1: (laughs) It's so strange. I I always loved Tusk as a kid because a lot of my early fandom was shaped by the Toy Biz toy line. And Tusk had a figure that it's cool because I've I just always liked the non-human looking mutants. And and again, he's not a mutant in the comics, but I didn't know that as a kid. And I always liked the non-human looking characters. I liked the visible mutations and not only that, but he had an action feature where the like little version of him popped out of his back, Yep, um, which is, I was very safe with all my toys. So I still have that, but I'm sure that got lost very easily. Um, but He has several speaking lines in the episode. He's kind of one of the first residents of Skull Mesa that like heeds Scott's call for revolution. Well,
0: this is not an official invitation, Steve Fox, but maybe in a few months you can come back and we'll do a Tusk
1: episode. (laughs) I mean, listen, it'd be about eight minutes long, but I would do it. Uh, Because I think he talks more in the show than he has talked in his entire comic book history.
0: I love him. Uh, What role role does Solar play in Skull Mesa? It's such a weird story. First of all, his real name is Silas King in the comic books, and his name in the show is Bill Braddock, which makes it sound like he's related to betsy and ryan which is bizarre
1: it's also just a weird choice to even name him because what happens is he introduces himself by name but he's already wearing a costume so when he's like i am solar it's like yeah you are wearing a sun emblazoned costume like this is not a reveal but
0: it's the second r that makes him evil
1: Yeah, I do appreciate that he's named like He-Man characters are named. Like just take uh, take a description and then like make an A instead of an E or or add one extra consonant at the end and you've got a a gladiator name. Uh, So Solar, along with Toad in his very bizarre uh, animated series appearance. But he's so cool in it. (laughs) He's very effective, but it's weird that he gets tossed into this storyline. Yes, and then a uh, a completely new character who what what do they call him? Something like Mirage. Uh glamour. Glamour. Yeah, so- his
0: name is his name is Chet, and he has this really cocky <laughs> voice, and he can make <laughs> illusions. And like he, oh, he, he, it's weird. He's a weird. There's there's weird moments. I watched this with my yeah. children, and they were like, "Ugh, <laughs> I,
1: it's not it's you know it's not an all time urban episode." <laughs> with all respect to the creators but uh the the funniest thing is when the first time you meet solar glamour and toad in the episode uh solar and glamour have this weird call and response thing and i'm sure chet in 1994 95 whenever this aired was not the kind of like name we make fun of today like we do chad or something else as being like a bro name like (laughs) But they do this call and response where Solar will say something and he's like, right, Chet? And then Chet's like, yes, sir. It's like, right, Chet? Exactly, sir. Mm-hmm. Like five times. He's like that's the yes man. I,
0: I pointed that out to my kids and they were like, what? And I rewound and I'm like, watch for him. <laughs> he just he keeps saying the same thing. And they were like, oh, that's annoying.
1: That's why I say it's got this kind of like Twin Peaks vibe where Scott's playing the Kyle McLaughlin role and like the whole town is just kind of off. In weird ways <laughs> and solar is like the casino owner of, of twin peaks i forget the character's name solar's
0: got like great creepy eye makeup on and he yeah. uses all these puns like you should be reduced to cinders and uh he gets defeated so stupidly at the end there's this green woman who has no template in the comics as well i don't think she's themed right. but she's got like she's like a garden lady with powers and at the end she just like grabs him with a tree and like tosses him away and he's like bye right.
1: which does fulfill the solar pattern of going out like a chump but <laughs> uh so sorry to finish the summary of the episode you find out that the the founder dr um whatever they say dr, Taylor the prescott. Time, dr. prescott um is being held hostage in a a cave that looks like the um the cave from aliens where like the xenomorphs keep everybody except it's toads slime uh sliming everyone to the wall because the town is over a gold mine and under dr prescott they harvested or mined just as much as they needed to keep the town going and solar has decided he can lock up all the goody two shoes and get the mutants to work, including like Sunder and Random, get them to work mining the gold for profit. It's
0: weird, weird, weird. I think when I was watching the animated series, like as it came out, I like they gave us like a solo Cyclops feature. Yeah. I also thought it was great that you got to pop up all these mutants from just all over the place. Because Solar is a mutant, although in the comics, he's never been affiliated with the X-Men at all.
1: And has he ever been called a mutant on panel or do we only know that from the guidebooks? Only from the handbooks. And then I think,
0: Think in his last story, there's a mention that he's a mutant. We'll we'll talk about that Not in sure. a second. But yeah, it's it's uh it's from the handbooks that we know uh he gets his powers because well we'll get to we'll get to yeah we'll get to the Steve Englehart original story. He has to be a mutant otherwise this story made no sense. Uh, <laughs> but he's a he's a fun character. It's a weird episode. I love to when I when I'm watching things like this. Ryan North when he wrote Squirrel Girl has that tagline of Squirrel Girl with powers of both squirrel and girl. And so whenever there's a character like watchdog, I'll like pause and be like, <laughs> the powers of both watch and dog. <laughs> 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 or hairbag with powers of both hair and bag.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty accurate for him actually.
0: It is kind of actually, he's a, uh, yeah. We could do hairbag and tusk together. Oh no, those are two <laughs> teams, it wouldn't work.
1: No, one for the Dark Riders, one for the Nasty Boys. <laughs> Combined, they could probably make an hour between them. Um, So fun fact before we move on from Skull Mesa, though, uh, and I I talked about this elsewhere, but originally I had suggested that the healer in that episode, Daryl Tanaka, um, who he's original to the cartoon, and I suggested he could make his comic debut in X-Men 92, House of 92, and he was going to be part of the Five. Um, But unfortunately, the legalities of using original cartoon characters is a little tangled, Um, I know people think that's silly because Disney owns all of it now, and I'm sure that's true, but that's still, like, you never know the contract intricacies of, like, oh, we own this, but a contract from 30 years ago says so-and-so gets $10 if we use it or something, so Daryl Tanaka did not make the cut. Sorry, Um, Daryl Tanaka. Yeah, I know.
0: (laughs) But I love that nerd brain of yours. So in X-Men 92, uh, for those of you that have been reading, Steve Fox just gave us a five-part limited series celebrating the 30th anniversary of the X-Men animated series, in which he told us a version of the Krakoa House of X, Powers of X story, but done in the animated series universe. (laughs) It's a separate universe, but using only characters from 1992. And uh, so, uh,
1: actually, actually up to 94 because okay. I, I had to include Adam X the extreme.
0: Fair. That's absolutely fair. Uh, and Solar kind of got a prominent role, actually. Uh, I adore what <laughs> you've done with random characters like Forearm. <laughs> There's <laughs> so See many, many great moments. Tell us, uh, so, so in X-Men, uh, in, in House of X, Powers of X, we get the big storyline uh, called X of Swords, which was like a 30 part crossover where uh, <laughs> they they go fight for big stakes and there's a lot of swords and stuff happens. <laughs> in your version, instead of going to Otherworld and Amonth, we go to Polymarchus with uh, mm-hmm. Archon the Thunderer, who we could do a whole episode about him too. <laughs> and Solar plays kind of a prominent role in your universe. Tell us about your story with him.
1: Yeah, so it, really I wanted to include these nods to the cartoon and include these. I, I really wanted to play with toys that the 616 line was not going to play with, and, and at, meaning like the main continuity. Um, that's why Archon shows up. That's why uh, you know I use the Phoenix because she's not involved right now. That's why Dark Beast becomes a big role because they killed him off before Krakoa. Um, because I want to make sure readers of House of 92 were getting a unique experience. If, if it was just retelling what Hickman and everyone else already did, like just go buy the trade paperbacks. Why would you, you don't need uh, a cliff notes version. It's, it's really more of a, a what if a kind of unique thing. So I did want to stick to characters and settings that had appeared on the cartoon or that at least existed in the comics by 1992 to 1994. Uh, and Saturnine and Otherworld, it had appeared in the comics by then, but none of that stuff ever made it to the cartoon. It's pretty complicated to explain in one issue. Um, and it's I, so I, fun, though, man! It really yeah, it's fun. so fun. And and I'm very good friends with Teeny Howard, who was like the co-architect of of Exoswords and has done most of the work with Otherworld. Um, so I love that side of the X Men, the the high fantasy nonsense of it all. Um, but I knew for one issue we were not going to have time to do any of that justice, and to make it unique and to really lean into this being a fight issue, uh, I just thought Archon the Barbarian was perfect because he had a two-issue arc in the or a two-episode arc in the cartoon. Um, he's, if we sum up,
0: if we sum up Archon in one phrase, he is what if testosterone were a person? <laughs>
1: Oh, I was just gonna say, what if Conan the Barbarian, but fully owned by Marvel, yeah, <laughs> also works? Uh, yeah, I mean, Archon's a fun, deep cut. Uh, what you see in the '70s and '80s, a lot of the time, were the big sci-fi fantasy things in culture at the time were getting comic um, parallels. So, you know, Hick or not Hickman, Claremont drew a lot on Star Trek and Star Wars and. You know, the Shiar is certainly a lot of that owes itself to like sci-fi of the 70s and 80s. So I think Archon probably was heavily inspired by Conan and, and Swords, uh Sword and Sorcery. Um, but yeah, I mean he's just this fun otherworldly barbarian guy. He's been more of a hero character at times, he's been more of a jackass at times um and on the cartoon he is just kind of a jacket can i say that yeah oh you can swear (laughs) i mean
0: hang on you say can you say that i will say fuck yes
1: (laughs) (laughs) well on the cartoon he you really just see like the jackass side of archon because um he he tricks the x-men into helping his planet which exists in like a uh a galaxy that's kind of always under like their their atmosphere is not safe that's kind of the storyline for archon several times is that like the solar storms are threatening his planet, his his realm, and he needs help. So he tricks X-Men into coming. He and Storm have a romance, and then you find out he's a slaver and a bad guy and all this stuff. So, you know, they whoop his butt and they leave. Um, but because I knew I was going to do X of Swords as a straight-up fight issue, you know, the the mainline version got very clever and very creative. Some of the fights, some of the challenges were not fights at all. It was stuff with like romance and trickery and All this very like fairy magic logic to things that was really fun but you did have a segment of fans who were like i thought this was going to be 20 issues of fighting like i wanted a bunch of fighting so i was like you know what if you want that you're gonna get it 20 pages not 20 issues but here you go
0: (laughs) x of of sorts they had this weird set of in in the in the real one they had this weird set of competitions where one would be a sword fight and then the next would be like, you have to get married. And then the next one, who's out, who can out drink who was right. like a dance competition. It was fun, but it was weird. And yours, it was yeah. just straight up sword fighting, which was fun.
1: Yes. <laughs> and and Teeny and I had a really big laugh about that because there was that like vocal segment of fans that were like, we wanted 20 issues of sword fighting. <laughs> it's like, you might've thought you wanted that. You probably would have gotten bored three or four issues in, but, um, and I love the the clever sort of like fairy logic to the main one. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to do the big balls to the wall sword fight issue. Archon fit perfectly for that. And I knew I needed to chump a character out right away to kind of like up the stakes. Uh, and because we were going to do the the resurrection on Polomachus is different, just like resurrection on Otherworld is different in the main books. And so Solar was a fun pick because he's no one's favorite. <laughs> like literally, literally no one, no one, literally no one. <laughs> because I, 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 did think like, okay, well, you know, I could use a character like Toad or um, I, almost anyone, really, and kind of have that joke mom- moment of someone getting killed right off the bat. But I love all those goofy characters. I love all the D Listers, uh, but no one loves Solar. <laughs> and despite no one loving him he got an entire episode of the animated series where he was the antagonist and the other accidental i I wish i could say i planned this from the start but the accidental benefit is that when i ended up leaning into dark beast having his dark riders it was very useful that silver samurai and solar both have easy visual swaps Absolutely, silver samurai becomes golden samurai solar becomes lunar (laughs) And I don't think they ever even get named on the panel, but um, it was useful that you could invert Solar's look and instantly get, okay, well, he came back wrong. He came back switched up, which I don't know, like for Toad, I don't know how you could have done that. Like you can't make him frog. (laughs) Like there are enough frog (laughs) characters already. Um, And I guess, you know, if Toad, if that version of Toad came back inverted, he'd be like handsome and not unsettling to be around. (laughs) So, oh, there's plenty of Toad stories. Worked. There's a Toad story. Do you remember? Uh, oh,
0: I think this is an Alan Davis story. Uh, the High Evolutionary cancels out mutant powers all across the world. This is literally a one panel appearance of Toad <laughs> uh, and Toad is suddenly very handsome. And all of the <laughs> all of the members of his team are like, what the hell? And then, you know, they get their powers back and he's not handsome anymore. It's a uh, it's a strange it's a strange moment for him. <laughs>
1: That's so sad because there's not anything to suggest that that version of Toad has a visual mutation. (laughs) Like, that's just how a lot of people look.
0: Oh, I have a lot of thoughts on Toad, but that's a different story. Yes, Solar, you already uh,
1: did that trial. <laughs> I,
0: I remember, uh, I remember when I first met you for the episode. I remember asking you the question, like, "What? Why does this series that you're writing exist?" Uh, and and uh, it was just when it was starting, and it was so fun all the way through. And when I asked that question, it wasn't adversarial at all. But I've heard that question from a number of people, like, "Why yeah. this story?" And it's so much fun to just go back into the '90s version of us. You have so many cameos by so many people, and Solar showing up was like. Like, oh wow, I haven't thought about this character <laughs> in 20 years.
1: Well, I tried to get every single mutant who appeared on the cartoon, and actually the Skull Mesa episode does have most of the ones I didn't get to. The be- only because, like, uh, oh, what's the what's the mutant liberation strobe or whatever? Like, yes. she's just not that interesting visually. So some, some <laughs> of these characters just don't have if you were to see them in the background of a panel, you know, if you were already a dedicated fan you'd be like oh that's strobe but it's like okay it's a redhead in a gold bikini otherwise yeah. like, it's, there's just not that much going on or like mastermind <sighs> never shows up because a middle-aged man in a trench coat <laughs> like, oh my
0: god steve yesterday i recorded uh the trial of mastermind it's coming out super- <laughs> uh he's a terrible he's a terrible person yes. <laughs> i just super spent a lot creepy. of time on this guy <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's one of those characters that like you know i'm i'm very good about separating like what happens in fiction is fiction and it doesn't reflect anything but he's a hard one to explore too much because he's just creepy like you know his so powers are basically non-consent. <laughs> at
0: the every at the end of every trial, we have what we call like an asshole rating. And like Juggernaut got like a forty-four percent asshole rating. And uh, Magneto got like a 55%. Mastermind got an 88%, which is really high. But yeah. we also included Mesmero in this trial, and Mesmero got a 100%. <laughs> like I love Mesmero, but he is
1: also creepy. The person. Yeah. There
0: are a number of his appearances that are directly associated with him, either murdering children or innocents or sexually assaulting somebody, including Marrow. He rapes Marrow once. We were yeah, like, like he's he's a great villain, but he's a terrible character. he yeah. <laughs> was a lot of fun. We're literally following the next episode of the pod i'm recording is a panel of all female writers where we're talking about the portrayal of sexual assault in comic books so i think fe- i felt like we needed a balance after the, like a palette cleanse yeah <laughs> um okay so let's talk solar in marvel established uh, uh history so steve Engelhart, who I, I got to meet once on the podcast he's just a wonderful guy Uh, loved himself a great villain story. He has a number (laughs) of incredible villains he's created over the years. And something that shocked me, and his his, Solar's first appearance is Captain America 160 in 1973. Something that shocked me going back to reread this, which I hadn't in decades, is Solar is savage in his first appearance. He He is a bad, bad dude. Uh, So we see uh, Captain America and Falcon on the cover of Captain America 160 uh, facing solar for the first time. He is in like bright orange, red and yellow. It's all solar colors fiery red jewel in the center of his chest that's glowing. His hands are glowing with fire. He's shouting on the cover at this guy. I've done it. I've harnessed the power of the sun. Now nothing can stop me. Nothing! And a caption box underneath calls him it says, call him Solar! And the red letters are like burning in orange fire. It's (laughs) worth noting uh, if you guys ever frequent comic shops, you've likely seen reference to the character Solar. S-O-L-A-R, Man of the Atom, who was created back in 1962. I think He's been owned by like Valiant and Dynamite and Dark Horse. He's a character that kind of goes around and around. But Solar is not to be confused with Solar. (laughs) (laughs) Extra R matters. Uh, When we uh, we open the book, when we go into Captain America 160, uh, we start with Solar robbing the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, He is in skin tight yellow and red, hair down to his shoulder blades. Uh, There was a lot of like hippie stories told back in the 70s. And he's very clearly kind of hippie movement. Uh, he's got a jewel on his headband, a jewel on his chest, it's just ketchup and mustard for days all over the <laughs> this guy, uh, he takes a briefcase up to the bars, he basically just says, my name is Solar, I'm here about a security, the security I spoke of is yours, Teller, you'll lose it if you don't give me all your money now. And the the teller yells for the guards. There's a maniac on the loose. Solar melts the bars with his hand. uh, And he just like sets people around him on fucking fire. The guards run at him and he just like lights them on fire. And right from the start, we're like three pages in. You're like, fuck, this guy is not nice.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it goes harder than you would think it goes because there's like a narration that's like, uh, before today, these people have seen people die, but o- only in the abstract, on TV and newspapers, and now they've seen it firsthand or something, and it's like, oh, okay, leaving no ambiguity to the fact that Solar is just nuking people left and right.
0: So, so Solar clearly has the ability to generate fire and to project that fire, and whenever he gets weak, he can just go outside and recharge in the sun, which makes him pretty powerful unless you're dark star or someone who has some sort of (laughs) nighttime powers. Uh, He runs outside, recharges, and yells, fools, fools, can't they see the evil in me? Can't they see the power? No, they never look beyond their own petty affairs, their humdrum lives, while I gaze into infinity, into the mighty heart of this solar system, and I draw new strength from it, for I am Solar, spawn of the sun. Now I'm renewed. Now I've absorbed the raging, searing fire of the day star into my veins, into my brain. Now I taste complete life and I give you complete death. <laughs> what can we garner about this man just from this speech?
1: <laughs> well, he's very humble, uh, very modest. <laughs> yeah, it's such a it's such an intense introduction to like this brand new one-off villain because he gets his ass kicked at the end of the issue uh his design is very like legion of superheroes slash like Shiar imperial guard with the the hippie edge that you mentioned uh just a lot of intensity but especially you know less so back then but more so 40 years later i do appreciate a villain who's just a straight up villain like the, the long arc of so many comic book villains Is to become sympathetic, to come to the side of the angels, or unite for the greater good. And Solar's just a dick in every single appearance, ever. Like, never doing a single nice thing. And we get a flashback to his his origin, and it's just like he's...
0: But before that, he just, like, there's a bunch of civilians outside, and he just sets them all on fire. Oh, yeah, just a pile of ass. He's like, fuck all of you. I'm a therapist in my day. Like, this guy has narcissistic personality disorder. (laughs) Even without superpowers, he's a huge asshole. He doesn't care about anyone but himself. But you give him fire abilities, and holy fuck, he's a bad, bad guy. Uh, Tell us his origin, Mr. Silas King. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so his origin is not complicated. He he walks into the desert and his like van going, broke down. Right, his van <laughs> breaks down, he walks into the desert, he's barely surviving on like cacti and and muddy water and then he develops solar powers. Like he's exposed, he's overheated, and right when he thinks he's going to collapse, instead the sun recharges him, which I guess later is justified as it activated his latent mutant power right the the thing especially in the like 70s through 90s i feel like the rules of being a mutant were a little more loosey-goosey like sometimes they would attribute it to like radioactive exposure in the womb sometimes it would be because the parent had like persuasion is a mutant because her dad the purple man has genetic modification. I he's love not purple a mutant.
0: girl
1: yeah <laughs> so back then there were more uh explanations for why someone becomes a mutant rather than just baby i was born this way uh so in solar's case i guess the explanation is the exposure to an excess of radiation activated an x gene that had not otherwise activated
0: we just brought up purple girl on my podcast uh in the mesmero trial because uh there was a time oh, when, yeah. Mes- when mesmero and alpha flight was he was fighting them and he's like my mind is stronger than yours and she's like fuck you and she takes over <laughs> his mind and like beats him it's great i uh, mean she's
1: she's got a creepy consent issue too where she uh-huh. tries to to get with north star
0: yeah but she was yeah. a teenager so you can almost excuse it uh, but then on the other learning... hand she was
1: a teenager so it's even worse <laughs> Well,
0: if it had been Northstar mind-controlling Purple Girl, that would be a different issue. I think
1: just no more mind-control characters. We've got enough, they're all problematic, and we'll just stick with the ones we have. Persuasion is being
0: used right now in Jim Zub's Thunderbolt series. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited to see what he does with her. It's such a strange character choice, much like Solar
1: X-Men 92. (laughs) Well, Jim is also Canadian, so he probably has a good, healthy Alpha Flight appreciation.
0: We had Jim on the pod one time, too. He's just a great guy. He's just super nice. I
1: don't know him well personally, but he's always been super nice when we've met.
0: Yeah, he's uh, he's lovely. So uh, so we we see solar. We're supposed to believe he just, you know, died in the desert. and The sun revived him or something. But later they (laughs) have mutant status. That helps. Uh, He now because he's powerful, he robbed a bank or a stock exchange. Now he wants to control the earth. Uh, And then Captain America (laughs) attacks. This is back when Captain America has super strength, which is a thing that happened for a while when Steve Englehart uh, tried to power him up for a minute. People didn't like (laughs) that very much. Uh, And this is is, uh, an era where Cap is kind of a serious fighter. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's an era in comics as well where Captain America is getting a lot more thematic uh, with real culture. Instead of the, Mm -hmm. the World War II hero fighting for America, He's now like fighting corrupt politics and becoming aware of issues of race. Steve Englehart did a great job with, uh, with uh, you have to take yourself back to early 70s, but when you yeah. take Cap out of the 60s and put him in this new world, it's a lot of really great stuff. We talked about this a little bit uh, on some previous Patreon episodes with some characters we examined. Uh, uh, the Lucifer one, is, uh, for example, that I did with Derek Kunsken. if you want to go back and hear that. Uh, Solar and Cap fight. Uh, <laughs> he keeps calling the sun the day star. He he like reaches dramatically into the sky he's talking to the sun like wash me heal me feed me Uh, (laughs) pap just pours a bucket of paint over him at the end which blocks out the sun and then like punches him out and he's dead (laughs) or he's done i mean not dead but it's such a great like defeat for the narcissist who just like somebody just like trips him and he's like no i'm dead
1: (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) So so funny because in every appearance he's he's presented as very powerful like he really can flex his his solar abilities and then he just loses like a chump almost every time. <laughs> like, even the, I mean, this is really fantastic art in this issue from Sal Bashima. I can't. Bishima, Bishima. yeah. I'm terrible with names. Really fantastic art. Um, but in the panel where he's doused in paint, it doesn't even look like it's particularly full coverage. He's got like a splash of paint over his head, and he's like, "No, I'm defeated."
0: Um, and then, he, yeah, he's he's done with. Uh, you you almost wonder if Steve Englehart was running out of room. Like, okay, how can we defeat him in one page? <laughs> <laughs> but I love I love when uh, when a narcissist gets their ass handed to them. That always makes my day in my real life too. Uh, in 1992, we briefly get uh, a, a one shot called Alpha Flight Special Number no. One. This is much later but it would technically be Solar's second chronological appearance because you have to go slide it back here. Uh, This is where we see an early version of Alpha Flight with a couple characters like Stitch, who was recently used by Steve Orlando in the Marauder's Annual. Wolverine is part of the team, and uh, the Hank Pym villain Egghead has formed a team called the emissaries of evil, which is maybe <laughs> my favorite villain group name of all time. Uh, and we get characters like Eel Rhino, Goliath, and my next Patreon episode after this, Steve, is going to be with Josh Trujillo on the character Porcupine, who is also Aww. part of this team, uh, one of my all-time favorites. We don't really need to talk about this one. Solar's in it. That's kind of all that you need to know. Yeah. You would if you're a completist. Uh, kind of
1: half of his appearances are just background filler. Like you could, you could swap him out with almost any other C-list villain that wouldn't affect anything.
0: Yeah. It's like the characters that you see sitting in the background at the bar with no name.
1: <laughs> yeah. Very much that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or they
0: join some random team and they're just filling this <laughs> up. Uh, and then the next big appearance, which is also by Steve Anglehart is Avengers 126 in 1974. It's called "All the Sounds and Sights of Death," uh, featuring the <laughs> monumental villainy of Claw and Solar. Claw is another of my all-time favorites. He's just so over the top. I fucking love this guy. Uh, I famously wrote the famous is a strong word to use, but I, <laughs> I had to write the when I worked on the Marvel handbooks, I had to write the Claw uh, entry, and he mm. was such a weird character to try to make sense of because there's so much random bizarreness uh, in the in the episode on on. Uh, my pod with Elliot Brown and Jeff Christensen. Uh, we talk about that entry. It, it was it was nuts to try to put together. Uh, tell us about Avengers 126.
1: Well, I was gonna say too. I also love that uh, Solar ends up t- teaming up with Claw because Claw also has like a He-Man name. Yes, he like, does. You Claw just, with a K.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: you really just change the 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 letters around, and suddenly you've got a Masters of the Universe toy. Um, yeah. Claw, so-
0: Claw is most infamous for everyone for murdering the Black Panther's father, T'Chaka. Right. That's his, that's his big claim to fame.
1: And he's got a cool design. I always liked his design as a, as a kid. I don't think he got a toy in the Toy Biz line ever. Um, but I always thought he was neat. Uh, yeah, so that appearance, they're trying to screw with Black Panther for the most part. And like fake Taking a a whole country hostage?
0: Yeah, there's a fictional country next to Wakanda called Rudyarda. Which I don't think see? probably
1: has ever appeared again.
0: I think it has. Uh, keep, keep talking, and I'll find Rudyarda <laughs> for you. I've got the I've got the atlas here.
1: Yeah, well, uh, so when I when I reread these, I was kind of scanning the Solar pages, and uh, Solar doesn't really do that much in this yeah. fight, and again goes down really easily. It's he spends a couple appearances kind of just being like claws right-hand man kind of rudyana Flesh- is also out.
0: rudyana is also in fantastic 4 119 i think that's literally all so <laughs> there's a whole country worthy of exploration
1: <laughs> yeah what yeah. a name too just- i don't know what the the nomenclature was behind that
0: <laughs> Uh, next time he shows up 1976 is defenders 42 through 44 this is jerry conway and this is the technical first emissaries of evil uh, <laughs> uh, we get uh, egghead leading the team i fucking love egghead he's such a nonsense wonderful 60s villain he's a bald guy evil scientist with an egg-shaped head that's basically all you need <laughs> uh, Rhino is there the X-Men are part of this so this is technically where they first meet uh, Solar and maybe the only time Cobalt Man who's, say, from, who's from the X-Men 60s books, uh, Solar is pretty savage in this one he hits Nighthawk with like a burst of fire that burns him, uh, he uses solar energy to make himself look like a giant uh, he, uh, he he. Dem- so they're after some. They're after this artifact called the Star of Capistan, which you're a, if you're a Defenders or a Doctor Strange fan, maybe you've heard of. But it truly doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> when he demands the star, I'll give another one of his little speeches here, just showing how over the top he is. If you deliver it to me at once, I might consider letting you live and make no mistake, defenders. I have the power and I w- and the will to destroy you as easily as a child swats a dying fly. Exceed to my demand and survive. Deny me and perish. Uh, these villain like monologue speeches where they're just emphasizing their own power just delight me so much. I love reading them out loud because they're so stupid. Uh, <laughs> any thoughts on that before I keep going?
1: No, he really is kind of all he does in all of his appearances is speechify and go out easy so you have kind of got a nice one-two punch with solar this was unfortunately the one one little appearance of his i couldn't get my hands on to read for this it's uh,
0: i love when i was on the handbooks they 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 would call me like the x-men submariner and defenders guy like these were my mm, biggest loves growing up uh the x-men and the defenders are some of my favorite things ever
1: and now you've seen the defenders become like Three other entire concepts in the box. Yes. <laughs> well, it's the
0: no team. I am uh I am this weekend interviewing Jam De Mateus uh oh, nice. on his new defenders run, and I'm so pumped because it's like he's like another one of those like childhood heroes of mine where I'm like, Yay, I get to meet one of my one of my heroes. Uh so in this fight, Solar melts the street around Luke Cage, who is like stuck in it because he like sinks in it. Uh he creates illusions of himself out of fire to fight Doctor Strange. He fires these massive heat blasts at Valkyrie. Like he's pretty powerful here. You just got to find a way to That's get what around I'm saying,
1: him. yeah, he actually has a really deep well of abilities. He just is such a jerk, I guess, that he didn't end up sticking around. But he can do a lot of formidable things.
0: Egghead, and this is not an egghead episode. Egghead takes Solar <laughs> and Rhino back to his headquarters and tortures them for hours because they disappointed him in the fight, which is just like, holy shit, this is not a guy you want to work for. And poor uh, Rhino. <laughs> poor Solar. But not, nope. you know, poor Rhino. Yeah, that's <laughs> poor, poor Rhino.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we my boyfriend and I um we watch episodes of the Spider-Man animated series before bed sometimes, and we watched one last night where like spider-man very easily tricks rhino into attacking all the other sinister six members i'm like (laughs) this poor lunkhead
0: rhino is not a smart man but he does have a big (laughs) heart He's loyal. Uh, So we also learn that Egghead has given Solar a device that will help him keep fighting even when the sun has gone down. Uh, Eventually, they turn on Egghead, but it doesn't really go well. And they get sent back to Earth where Doctor Strange has been mutated into the Red Rajah by the Star of Kapistan. Uh, Truly, don't worry about it. Just go read it if you'd (laughs) like to. Uh, And then they defeat Solar by knocking out this gem that allows him to operate at night. And uh, now he has no more power. So that's,
1: that's what happens to him. Well, so funny thing, then he gets this gem that allows him to operate, but he already has gems when he first appears. So those were purely ornamental gems.
0: Yeah. We never
1: get an explanation about what those are. I didn't He just thought that. they looked good. He was, he was stoning his tights. That's he, a... He's got one on his head and one on his chest and they're just glowy gems. He wanted an, some extra flash on the runway. He was like, Rue is going <laughs> to read me if I come out here in, in a leotard with nothing on it. With the
0: boots, that hair, the way his ass looks and mm-hmm.
1: those tights. <laughs> He's like, I am stoning these tights backstage before I go down the runway. And then Egghead was like, that's embarrassing. Here's a functional one.
0: <laughs> so it are. I
1: love it. Uh, I like imagining that it would just be like, obviously plastic in his first appearance like just he, obviously red plastic he got it
0: out of like a vending machine it cost him a quarter <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know he was in the sun for a long time we have to cut him some slack
0: <laughs> maybe he was a nice guy before the sun cooked his braid i suppose it's possible <laughs> I know nothing about this man uh Then we get Marvel 2-in-1, 57-58, 1979. It's by Mark Grenwald, Ralph Macchio. Uh, Did you get to read this one with uh, Project
1: Pegasus? I did. I mean, this is such a wild one to read out of context. Um, As a kid, like, I I had so little opportunity to be exposed to this side of the Marvel universe because, you know, Quasar wasn't showing up anywhere. Project Pegasus wasn't showing up anywhere in the early 90s that I was reading. Uh, So it's a weird one, but... I've always been curious about it because I feel like Project Pegasus hasn't had a huge modern impact. Um, oh, you don't they used see it a lot. So
0: Project Pegasus, for those that, that are '70s and '80s readers, was used <laughs> a lot in Marvel as a place where they all they studied research uh, or like energy research, and they would often bring supervillains there to be contained and then to be studied. And it's an interesting thing because it was used so frequently by Mark Grenwald. Uh, it was like a, like a, a, a mainstay in uh, the Quasar comics and the Marvel 2-in-1 and Marvel Team-Up comics. But it just hasn't been used a lot. And it's one of those stupid acronyms for Marvel. So Pegasus, it's, <laughs> uh, so it's it's all capital letters, Project Potential Energy Group Slash Alternate Sources Slash United States. That's what,
1: that's what Pegasus stands for. <laughs> I love when you have to put a slash in an acronym to justify... <laughs> The acronym. They had a working relationship with the Strategic
0: Hazard Intervention and <laughs> Logistics Directorate, right? otherwise known as SHIELD.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, I always thought it was cool. I just, as a kid, I wasn't really reading the comics that it would pop up in. And it, over the past 20 years, I feel like it certainly comes into play once in a while, but it hasn't played a prominent role.
0: Do you have a favorite uh, villain group or villain name that's an acronym? I mean, MODOK is an example, right? The, the mobile operative designed only for killing. Uh, I mean,
1: I always love that we never got what hammer stood for. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like Bendis would say in interviews sometimes that it was coming or like a character, because he, he loves to lampshade things too. So sometimes in the comics, like a character would draw attention to it. Like, what does that even stand for? <laughs> and I don't think there's ever been an official explanation nope. for hammer.
0: Hammer H <laughs> period, A period. Nope. Uh, my favorite, uh, another Mark Grenwald creation, Captain America foes led by Flag Smasher is the group Ultimatum. Oh, yeah. Ultimatum stands for, if I remember it correctly, the underground, liberated, totally integrated, mobile army to unite mankind.
1: Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it starts to sound like a rap. Like, you're like (laughs) rhyming as you go. It's Uh. so stupid. (laughs) I love the purity of comics sometimes, attaching an R at the end of a name to make it evil coming up with long acronyms like this is the stuff we have to embrace about the medium
0: so tell us what happens to solar at project pegasus oh geez
1: okay well the other amazing thing about we're talking about two and one still right
0: yeah we're still on marvel two okay. and
1: one. so the other amazing thing about this issue is that it's really more focused on one dar who also has two r's at the end of his name so this is an issue with Wondar and Solar. And they both are like vaguely hippie inspired looks with the yeah. long hair.
0: Wondar's like Wonder's like with a non-violent hippie sexy alien. That's kind of all you need.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Wondar walks by and Solar gets out of his containment unit. Um, I think as a result of like Wondar's weird energies or something helps release him from his his cage right yeah yeah he
0: like he like manipulates energy as he walks yeah. he's like he's like a, he's like a child in an adult's body he's he's an old obscure marvel character that's never brought up anymore
1: yeah i've got nothing on him unfortunately <laughs> but he's uh, funny Ale- we could do an
0: episode on him he's he's got some stuff man he's a funny character
1: <laughs> they need to round up everyone who's ever had like a two r last name or <laughs> similar and get them on the same group um But yeah, so Wondar is kind of walking around the facility trying to find an ally, and like Electro is there in a full body cast because he over electrocuted himself, and uh, Nuclo is there, and Claw is there. And so, is this the first time Claw was? Able to transform fully into sound then?
0: Oh, no, no, no. Claw uh, okay. was like a human guy who fought the Black Panther. And then he had this like sound machine that he got lost in in a Fantastic Four issue and he turned gotcha. it to pure living sound. But he has like a prosthetic device called a sonic horn. And right. often he'll get destroyed and you can reanimate him by just like messing with his sonic horn, which is- You just hold down effectual.
1: two buttons and, and he reboots. Control up uh, yeah, delete.
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: Cause Solar is surprised when he, he helps. So he finds the sonic horn and he um, blows Claw black, back to life. Um, and he's, he's surprised by it. Um, but yeah, and then they have a battle. And, and again, Solar gets chumped really easily. <laughs>
0: Like and the we get Black Goliath here, which is great. I always
1: loved him. Yeah, right. I love size changing characters. Um, I always love like the guys who get big. Well, that's why I have Micromax, right? <laughs> like I, I just I love when when in a completely non-sexual way, I love when guys just get really big. But also in a sexual way. <laughs> no, I'm actually very intimidated by anyone taller than me. So the the interests are are diametrically opposed here. Um, but no, I always loved Giant Man and and um, oh my God, I mean he hasn't Atlas, well, Atlas from I, the Thunderbolts. Well, I was gonna say Apache a Chief from um, oh, Super sure, Friends. Sure, not endorsing that portrayal, but I like the character getting large. Um, so yeah, I, I like I, yeah I liked Atlas a lot as as a kid. Um, that Giant Man series that Leah Williams wrote for um, War of the Realms. So yeah, I was, like, yeah, all was- my interests in one. <laughs>
0: Even with our gay giant man, with uh, a Malhotra, who I yeah. I think is great, he's fun. Uh, yeah. So, so Lars back in his cell. We next get him in Marvel. Team up 123 uh, in 1982. This is a J.M. DeMatteis story. He has escaped Project Pegasus. He has spent months learning how to control his power, uh, and then he gets uh, an offer to kill a mobster named Peepers Scanlan. Not to be confused with Peepers from
1: <laughs> your favorite character Peepers <laughs> from yeah.
0: Sword. I actually really love Peepers. I will do a Peepers <laughs> episode on my Patreon one day. Mark my words. Peepers. This is a, my. He was recently in Sword, uh, yeah. in the first volume of Sword, and I love him. He's wonderful.
1: Peepers is also the. He becomes a, a horseman, right? Back in the Peter Milligan, was that him? Mm-hmm. No, Who I don't. Who am think I thinking so. of?
0: Uh, Someone
1: really random.
0: There was like an alien named. I think his name is Gazer. And Gazer, he, yes. He was introduced in that, and then became a horseman, and nothing. How could I confuse with
1: Peepers and Gazer? <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm ashamed. Take back my, uh, my X card. Uh, that's
0: another team up series we need. Is all the characters <laughs> that have big giant eyeballs. Uh, there's there's uh, there's uh, uh, the orb. Uh, oh yeah,
1: he gets a lot of play. And um,
0: and the the demon hell eyes, who's just covered from uh, covered in
1: eyes and eye boy like eye boy. <laughs> Uh, it, he should have been gay with two N's, two R's at the end. Gay-Zar. <laughs> gay <Gays-ar>. um, <laughs> uh, The Marvel team-up issue is my favorite Solar appearance. Oh, is it? Out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like it's such a good classic Spider-Man Daredevil story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's so easy to build a fun story around <laughs> these characters. Um And so, it yeah... Is- there, Oh, if it's
0: got the name DeMatteis on the front, you can expect expect like a solid character story. right? And really the
1: art's great in this. It's it's really kind of the best. I think it's the best Solar appearance. I, you know, there's not a ton of competition. <laughs> so
0: yeah, there's not <laughs> a lot of appearances of this guy. So uh, Solar goes after Peeper Scanlon, this mobster who's getting treated for cancer at the hospital. Uh, Matt Murdock sees him uh he realizes oh look we have we have explanation there's a jewel on his chest that's helping amplify his powers who knows where the fuck it came from uh uh, he ends up fighting both uh spider-man and daredevil and sees like a great opportunity for them to uh if he defeats them it'll like further his reputation as a as a bad dude uh uh tell us about the fight what happens how do they defeat solar in this appearance
1: we see well, him creating,
0: but, like, fire duplicates again, which I think is I a great set say, of powers.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really impressive to imagine how he would actually create a duplicate good enough to fool Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, this, like, dumb, angry <laughs> villain guy is, like, able to manipulate uh, water in that way. But you really see him hurt Spider-Man in Daredevil 2. He, like, burns Spider-Man's back, like... Again the the thing about Solar is that as much of a chump he is as he is and as much of a jerk as he is he's got a lot of power to flex and I feel like you know if just one other creator had taken interest in him maybe he would have taken off as more of a threat um but yes they end up using um a fire extinguisher at one point and then they knock him into a water tower so the flip side of Solar is that all the weaknesses of real fire <laughs> tend to defeat him pretty easily. Uh
0: much like any fire character, the solar, the human torch, right? Like how many times in the <laughs> you cover yourself in asbestos or water and you're the perfect counter <laughs> for the human I, torch.
1: Yeah, I was really thinking in the context, I forget what made me think about this, but fire characters just don't seem to like stick in in team lineups very often. Like Sunfire has a history of quitting Firestar bounces around between different groups. You know, Pyro was on the Marauders for a little while, and, and now is not in anything. I don't I don't know why Fire is like not a continuously compelling power because it's such a basic elemental one.
0: There are so many fire characters. I I am randomly thinking of it. I cannot cite this issue. There's an uh, there, there's an issue of the Fantastic Four. Where there's a kid who uh, the human torch is his hero, and this kid tries to become the torch by lighting himself on fire and ends up in the hospital, obviously. And the torch is like feeling very responsible. And around the same time is when the Fantastic Four Animated series came out. and it's when say. they didn't put human torch on the team because they were worried about kids with fire. So that's when herbie,, uh, right. the the robot uh, came into play.
1: Oh, herbie's another acronym. <laughs> yeah that's gotta stand for something Um, i gotta
0: remember i'm gonna look it up i forgot what herbie stands for herbie is humanoid experimental
1: robot b-type integrated electronics b-type yep see that's effectively a slash yeah um well and then the fun flip side first off i'll say for the record i know firestar's power is not fire obviously that's a manifestation of her power many times so she's a microwave right she's a microwave (laughs) who has Uh, cancer (laughs) because she has a microwave powers (laughs) well listen check out the issue but uh so the the funny flip side of of the human torch not making it into the fantastic four cartoon is that i i think it's widely accepted one of the reasons firestar was created was to know homo amazing friends because it was going to be the human torch Sure, sure. And it's like, well, three boys hanging out all the time. Maybe we should add a girl to this mix.
0: When Firestar first joined Kurt Busiek's Avengers, they were hinting at who the final members would be. And I remember him giving the hint. This is like 1998. He gave the hint publicly that one of the members of the team is a character that debuted somewhere outside of the Marvel Universe. And that was the that was the, the hint. Because uh, Firestar <laughs> debuted in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Um uh, cartoon instead, and that is canon. The story I just referenced, by the way, a new warrior's Firestar's powers, which are microwave based, she literally gets cancer and she's going yeah. sterile, and she's like worried she'll never have children. And in Kurt Busiek's Avengers, Hank, him designs her a circuitry suit to wear under her costume that will help change her powers so that she can heal. But then later in Marvel Divas, she gets cancer anyway. So yeah. it's, uh, it's a bizarre story where you see a character's powers affecting them in a negative way. Uh, it sounds like you're going to do some stuff with that in your story, too. You, know,
1: you know, it may get referenced. It's <laughs> <laughs> <You know, Firestar's laughs> got a really rich history. And the, the DC Universe has more examples of characters who jumped from other media to the comics. <laughs> Marvel really only got a couple notable ones. Um, and Firestar is cheap among them. Sure, sure. it's 23. So, you know, when they do it, they, they land pretty big.
0: So uh, we basically only get Solar one more time. Uh, he is in 1985's Power Man and Iron Fist 113. This is written by Jim Owsley. <laughs> uh, Jim, Jim Owsley is the, uh, the, the writer that later changed his name to Christopher Priest and then just Priest. He's super infamous for his Black Panther run, which is one of my favorites of all time oh, yeah. uh, with, with Everett K. Ross. God, it's good. Uh, but uh, Solar just...
1: And Quantum and Woody. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Such, yeah. such good stuff. So uh, Solar just fucking dies. It's uh, <laughs> off he's, panel. He's back in project Pegasus. There is a power outage. There's this stupid magic bad guy named Bress, spelled B-R-E-S. And he's messing with reality and he kills some guards and solar walks out into the hall and the corpse of one of the guards who's being animated kills solar. And then he's dead. The end. Yeah. It's, such an, find abrupt, his body. it's such an abrupt ending for this character. Uh, yeah. But we do get one more random show up of him. Uh, Mark Grenwald loved in his Captain America run to just draw characters from all over the place. He loved to use themed things. There's there's the Superior uh, and the Femizons where he has an <laughs> island of all women villains. There's like his wolf arc where everyone who's ever associated with wolves shows up in one place. (laughs) And he gives us a a character later in his run. uh, This is actually right before Mark Grenwell died, where there's a character named Dead Ringer. Uh, Tell us about Dead Ringer, Steve.
1: So he is a mutant who, if he has tissue samples from dead criminals, can turn into them and briefly use their powers. Literally, like
0: if he has like your finger... He will yeah. not only turn into you, he has your costume, he yeah, has your powers, yeah. he looks like you, his hair looks like yours did before you yeah. died. So this is, is why he went around like digging up graves and like collecting yeah. genetic samples from corpses. This is, this guy could come back on Krakoa, I'm just I saying. was going
1: to say, he's a really cool character. I had never heard of him. And actually I, I, I used a similar function in Ar- Archer and Armstrong, a character who, if he he consumes, you know, your flesh can use your powers but not with, like, full visual transformation and and spandex generating randomly. I
0: I think this character could... Dead Ringer could have something done with him, but he's off. I hate hate him.
1: (laughs) He's got a great name. I mean, that's, like, a cool, catchy... uh...
0: I think... So, Dead Ringer is, like, what you say when you're, like, you look like someone else. Like, you're a Ringer for... I think it's a stupid name.
1: <laughs> it's such a good pun with like the him having to to have tissue samples. Um, but yeah, I mean, solar, This guy's gross. Yeah, it's generous to even say that solar appearances uh, appears because it's just in that opening page, and Captain America's like, "What's wrong with this image? That's not me, and that guy's dead." <laughs> And that's like, yeah.
0: So yeah, it's it's like Solar's finger makes an appearance. Uh, right. And then the last time we ever get him is very brief in uh, uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez's gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous series, JLA Avengers. In the fourth issue, there's the villains being pulled from all over time. They They work in so many obscure DC and Marvel characters. And Solar like shows up in one panel in number four and that's it. Uh, so this is a character that I think is almost lar- more largely defined by his appearance in this, uh, in his X-Men episode than yeah. any of his comic book canon. Cause I mean, we, we get his like cool battle with Cap, we get the Project Pegasus stuff and then the Emissaries of Evil stuff. And that's kind of it. He just kind of is oft in the background somewhere <laughs> Uh, as, as we, as we put this all together, this guy, what do you like about this character? Uh, I often will ask people here in this part too, like, if you told a story about him, what would you do? But you just did.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did. I, I killed him right away. (laughs) Um, what I like about the character is that he, he has a good look. I would actually argue, like I said, it's kind of a very, I know Dave Cockrum didn't design him, but it's kind of a Cockrum feeling outfit. Um, with bold colors and, and clean lines and also he's just unashamedly an asshole like i i love me a good i mean listen my favorite x-men is emma frost <laughs> like i love villain to hero the problem is if you do it with everybody you don't have any villains left or you sure. don't have a lot of villains who you can make be actual jerks um you know like rhino is a good example He's been sympathetic many, many times. If you wanted to do a story where Rhino's just plowing through people, it would feel kind of like a betrayal of, of who we've come to understand he is. So it's nice to reserve villains like Solar who are just assholes and, and, and have no motivation and no explanation. They're just like, I'm a bad dude. <laughs> Solar has a unique look to him I think he is
0: someone that's easily interchanged with about 12 other fire guys right like for sure but but he does have a uniqueness about him in uh, in the fact that he's just so narcissistic you have a lot of villains that are like the hard luck guys uh i don't right. know like beetle or porcupine who you know are trying to better their lives or you have others that are like really hard pressed. Uh, you have others that are bipolar and like need a sense of grandeur and like attention, but this guy's just a straight up narcissistic asshole. He's just yep. a terrible human. No uh,
1: effort ever made to establish why or make us feel any sort of understanding for him. It's just like he got really hot one time and now he wants to kill everybody. <laughs> like,
0: and he did. He killed lots of people. Yeah. In his first. And listen, experience.
1: I don't like the heat, so I can sympathize a little bit. <laughs>
0: Solar uh Solar is someone that could come back on Krakoa. I don't see it likely that it will happen. <laughs> I kind of imagine X-Men 92 is the last place we're going to see this character for another 20 years, possibly. I have to say, well,
1: listen, spoiler alert, he does not show up in the annual, but when when I was preparing for this last night, I was like, I guess I could have just thrown him in the background <laughs> like
0: Solar <laughs> and Firestar as Krakoa's
1: new power couple. No. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the other thing is like what people forget is there is a queue for resurrection, and mm-hmm. I would have to imagine Solar is about as far down the queue as possible.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> like, who's who's at the top of your queue? Without, of course, like, you may have more projects coming up where you actually do resurrect characters, but like, who's just that like person that's it's just bugging you they haven't been resurrected yet?
1: Oh gosh. Well, I will say I got to use one of my favorite mutants in the annual, who has not appeared in anything related to Krakoa yet. Okay. Um. So that's that's a little teaser, and I've actually, in the way that I've talked about the annual, heavily hinted at who it is already. But I think it's too subtle for people to get. Okay. Um. I will. So I have nothing planned with this character. I don't know if anything's planned with this character, but I I would love to see Sammy the Fish Boy. <laughs> yes oh my i just God. want to see sammy just having a good time that poor guy had a rough go of things and i would like to see him high five juggernaut and then go have a good day
0: <laughs> i uh i now that juggernaut's on the island we i did a trial for juggernaut too so we we did a lot of the sammy conversation during that and yeah he deserves a, a chance at life the one that's at the top oh. of my list it just bugs me is because uh, Jean Grey is so prominent. Uh, Sarah Grey, if she is a mutant, her sister, mm. and then Joey and Galen, her niece and nephew, who are mutants. You would think that she would want them back now. Now, now, now. Like, put them at the top of the queue. It bugs me that nobody's doing because they were so callously murdered, all three of them. Yeah. Uh, it bothers me so much from, from a Jean character standpoint that they're not back.
1: <laughs> well, maybe they weren't really mutants. We don't know.
0: The, uh so Sarah, it's hinted that she's a late right. mutant. I remember and that. And then Joey and Galen were hunted during Operation Zero Tolerance for being mm. pre-mutants. Uh so there, there's uh plus nanny nanny got Joey and Galen and made her part of her lost boys and girls <laughs> for a minute. So it was hinted that they were mutants right from the start. Uh I all three know. of them it's, be back. it bugs it's me. It's
1: tough because it really comes down to and you know, people speculate online of like, oh, why isn't this? Why isn't this? Like we only have so many pages and you really have to have a story like a lot of the times what people are asking for is more like character maintenance or like things they want to see back in the mix but you have to have a story worth telling because it's really obvious when someone does something just for fan service or like just for checking a box you have to have a real narrative to go with it um well and that's where people like
0: That's where people like you and Steve Orlando are doing such a great job of just giving us little minor appearances of characters in a panel or a mention somewhere. And it's it's such a love letter to long-term fans. Uh, Another one at the top of my list, and this is a one-shot guy. Do you remember X-Men Prime back in the 90s? There was this story about that, like, green skin guy named Dennis Hogan, who's running to Xavier's for refuge, and he dies, like, on the front gate. And Xavier's Aww. so heartbroken. That guy, for some reason, he keeps showing up in my brain, too. I'm like, give Dennis Hogan another
1: chance. You know, I would probably, um, my Dennis Hogan would be the, uh, the guy that Cyclops Mercy kills in the first issue of Grant's x-men oh sure yeah The like three faces yeah i haven't shoved him into anything but if i get the opportunity i'll, I'll try to get him in the background probably he has some, he has some awful name like tri or something okay. no it's worse it's it's i forget what it was but it, it is really insulting it's like <laughs> it, it, like pig boy or something it's it's not a kind <laughs> name but uh again, it, again i really i love visible mutations i love really like bizarre looking character like abyss i would love to see abyss oh sure yeah yeah. um you know just characters like that that's why i put uh, a fever pitch cameo in the in the unlimited because i always loved fever pitch as a kid he's a angry flaming skeleton like that's now
0: now that's a good code name fever pitch is a great name
1: yeah fever pitch and dead ringer
0: (laughs) they're both good (laughs) Uh, Steve Fox, I think you are such a talented, charismatic, wonderful human being. I love your work and I'm glad to have uh, had the opportunity to spend time with you again today. Thank you for your time and talents. Are you able to, without confirming anything, knowing this is coming out right
1: at the start of October, uh, can we expect some announcements about you and more work soon? I will be honest, I'm not sitting on any big announcements uh when it comes to superheroes right now. Um, I have some creator-owned stuff that's gonna announce later this year that I'm really excited about. And I really hope I get to do more stuff in the superhero realm. And you know, the the way to have that happen is to, you know, buy Edge of Spider-Verse 5 and and talk up Webweaver. It's to buy the X-Men annual and and you know, it's been great to see people enjoy the work I've been doing in the line and, and hopefully I get to continue. But yeah, I, I'm honestly not sitting on a secret at the moment. Um, every, everything is kind of out there and announced, but I'm ex- very excited for people to actually read Web Weaver and for people to actually read the X-Men annual and, and get a taste of me in a different mode. Because I think with X-Men 92, it was not a straight up comedy, but obviously is very tongue in cheek at times. And the gala serial has also been Humorous. Um, so the X-Men annual is gonna show me in and Webweaver is is my shot at like really establishing a new character. So I'm excited sure. for folks to check it out. Uh
0: and getting an X-Men annual is a big deal. Getting the infinity stuff is a big deal, but the X-Men annual puts you like on a new playing field. Like uh, yeah. I I know I know you always gotta pay the bills, and there always has to be consistent work coming. <laughs> but but take a moment to enjoy that that status. That's that's a huge deal, it's a huge accomplishment.
1: I was pretty blown away. I mean, my goal for 2022 was to do something in continuity, (laughs) like, you know, expecting a four page backup so to get to do the unlimited stuff to get to do web weaver and she Hulk and now to do this annual it's really above and beyond what I could have expected. And I'm very grateful for these opportunities. And
0: well, you build I, these relationships with people like Jordan White, et cetera, and they know you as someone who does quality work and fans respond. I, I hope that there is a uh, big announcements in the very <laughs> good future, my friend. Well, I am a huge fan.
1: I, the thing is, I'm, you know, I'm not kidding when I say that, like, I don't know what my life would be like without the X-Men, like watching Pride of the X-Men as a kid, playing with those toys that set me down comics and literature and everything else. So it really feels very gratifying to get to tell these stories and to get to tell my own and and branch out and do other things too. So I'm a a lucky, lucky guy.
0: I, uh, my, I mean, my Marvel history as a fan is extensive, but as a professional was uh, before I came out of the closet and when my, when I came out, I, my life went nuts for a while and I made a documentary and a graphic novel and a book, but I'm in a place with this podcast now where I'm working on comics again. And it feels so lovely to sit down and use those creative spaces. Yeah. It's like a spirituality space almost to sit down and, and tell stories that are fun and wonderful. Uh, and I'm sure I'm sure you have that same uh that same type of bug in you where it just feels so good to write, you know?
1: Absolutely. And especially in comics where then you get to see the pages come back and get to see it come to life. It's mm. really nothing, nothing else like it. And my my advice and my like approach to all of it is to expect nothing and, and be grateful for everything. And that hasn't steered me wrong yet. And I am very grateful for all, all these stories I've gotten to tell from Solar to Cyclops and, and who knows what's in the future.
0: <laughs> you are just a lovely human, my friend. Thank you for taking this time with me today. Where can people find you online if they'd like to? And uh, is there anything you'd like to plug that we haven't well,
1: talked about yet? You know, I'm trying to kind of wean myself off Twitter, but the best place to find me would be stevefox.com, um, Steve underscore Fox on Twitter, and then is at the yeah, yeah, yep. And um, I now have a newsletter that I'm trying to steer people toward over Twitter. That should be pinned on my Twitter um, so people can find it there. But I talk about all the projects I do there, and I tease stuff that's upcoming, and try to you know look back on projects and give my perspective on things. It's it's really just. Uh, kind of a journaling outlet for me to keep me from tweeting. So, <laughs> folks can go subscribe to that, and and that's where I'll announce new stuff and talk a little uh, and share some behind the scenes peaks and stuff like that.
0: I hate Twitter. I always have. I use it for this podcast, <laughs> and that's it. I post my stuff. I interact with others a little, and then I'm gone. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's not for me either, but the newsletter has been a fun outlet and uh, a nice way to keep track of everything I'm doing.
0: Uh, on Grey Malkin Lane, you can find me, Grey Malkin PP like podcast on Twitter, Grey Malkin underscore land on Instagram. Right around the time we release this episode, we will also be putting out the Mastermind Mesmero trial, which I just <laughs> referenced today. Uh, the next Patreon after this, which I also referenced is uh, Porcupine with uh, Josh Trujillo. Right after that, we're going to do uh, a focused episode on Storm's parents, uh, the Monroes with uh, Bar Fox, and uh doing the research on that was so wonderful and so enlightening we've got some crazy cool stuff coming up uh after that as well including the ungarai with ariana mar uh and uh, some other great things so uh, keep an eye out we have uh some great stuff uh thank you everybody thank you steve fox uh we'll see you back here next time
1: thanks for having me Bye bye